Hi, it's a privilege to be with you this week. It's a privilege to open God's Word with you. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about reading the Old Testament. You know, Jesus had the Old Testament. The apostles, they had the Old Testament. And they read it, and they quoted it. And a lot of times when we're in our New Testament, we see these things, and we read these things, and we're like, huh, what's kind of going on there? And, well, that's that Old Testament that's sometimes a little bit puzzling, like, you know, what's really going on here? How can I understand it? And so this was Pastor Danny's idea to kind of go through this idea of going through the Old Testament and some principles for interpreting it. And I hope it's really helpful for you. I think it's a great idea. And it's going to have a little bit more of a workshop feel um, Monday through Thursday. Tonight's not going to be that workshop-ish thing. But I would encourage you to bring your Bibles because I'm going to do a little bit of teaching. Then I'm going to actually, there's going to be some interaction. I'm going to ask questions about the text. And hopefully at the end of the week, you'll have a little bit more confidence at least in the Old Testament as you read it, that you might be able to understand it and then apply it to your lives. You know, this, uh, this idea and this, um, this topic really fits very well with the theme of diving deeper uh, because we're getting into even a portion of Scripture that we often don't study. We don't study it because it's, well, it's the Old Testament and it was to the Jewish people and I don't understand it. And, and so we're going to get deeper into the Old Testament and uh, I pray that it truly is a blessing for you. Uh, tonight, we're going to do something a, a little different. I'm going to actually preach a sermon. So it won't be, I say it's different, and then I'm like, I'm going to preach. And it's like, that's what you always get. So it'll be normal tonight. Uh, so uh, reading Jesus' Bible, the first part, I am going to do a little bit of teaching. And I want to talk about some approaches to the Old Testament. Um, you know, uh, throughout church history, there's been a lot of people. By the way, there are handouts. There is in your um, in your book that you got when you came. There's, there's some notes there. You can go ahead and fill out the blanks there if you'd like, and I hope that's helpful for you. As we think through the Old Testament, how do we handle it? What do we do with it? Well, there's this one approach. There's this man named Marcion in the early church. He was considered a heretic because he basically said the Old Testament is not the Bible. It's not canonical. And so we just shouldn't even spend time with it. Stay out of the Old Testament. It's not really the Bible. You need to be reading just the New Testament. You need to get to know Jesus, not this, you know, really kind of violent God of the Old Testament. That was one approach. We're not going to even spend a lot of time on that approach. Here's another approach. I trust that you believe that the Bible is all of the Bible. And anyway, on to this next approach. The second approach is that we ignore the Old Testament. Now, you might be thinking, man, I haven't really heard that either. It must be some crazy liberal view. Well, yeah, okay. Friedrich Schleiermacher was a liberal, and he didn't believe in the authority of the Scripture, so there's a bit of that. But it's actually a view that's even grown in popularity among some people that we might consider more conservative evangelicals. Andy Stanley's written a little book that I really like. The title is, How Good is Good Enough? And how good is good enough to get into heaven? It's a great little book, and he basically explains the gospel and how you can never be good enough to get into heaven. But he's written a book recently that basically says we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. It's obsolete. We don't need to read it. Quit reading the Old Testament. Focus on the New Testament. So this is a view that's even becoming popular again uh, in our day and age. And I would contend this is not the right approach to the Old Testament. The third view, the third approach to the Old Testament is a couple of uh, bigger words, but to allegorize or to spiritualize uh, the Old Testament. And the early church fathers did this. 
Basically, they didn't take the text for what it really meant. They created a spiritual meaning out of it. I'm going to give you an illustration of that in a little bit. But first, I'm going to go to our fourth view, and that's to Christologize or to typologize the Old Testament. Oh, man, what are these big words? Okay, well, Christologize. You know, you look at the Old Testament, and then you see Jesus in there. So every red thread or every act of sacrifice is Jesus, or you just find Jesus all over the place in the Old Testament. Uh, typologizing would be to, it's kind of similar to that whole spiritualizing thing. We kind of see these examples in the Old Testament, and then we draw some kind of an example to it. Now, as I say these two approaches, Christologizing and typologizing, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that actually sounds pretty good. In fact, you're uh, quoting uh, Charles Spurgeon there. He's, uh, I thought he was a good guy. <laughs> yeah, and there's some legitimacy to these things. You know that Jesus is actually in the Old Testament? He is there, but he might not be in every red thread or in every sacrificial act. Uh, And so there is some legitimizing, legitimization even to typologizing the Old Testament. This quote is from Charles Spurgeon, and he states, Within limit, my brethren, be not afraid to spiritualize or to take singular texts. Continue to look out passages of Scripture and not only give their plain meaning, See, Spurgeon is moving beyond the plain meaning of the text, and he's creating a spiritual meaning, as you are bound to do, but also draw from them meaning which may not lie upon the surface. There's a meaning beyond the plain meaning of the text, according to Spurgeon. That would be that spiritual meaning. And uh, so some parts of the Bible, and you might be thinking, oh, I would never do something like that. Well... When you're in some parts of the Bible, it's kind of hard (laughs) to apply it. And you know that the Word of God is applicable to you, so what do you do with it sometimes? And it can be hard, and so that's why what we do. We might Christologize it. We might typologize it. Well, I'm going to provoke a third or a fifth method, and that's to develop a biblical theology of the Old Testament. Like, oh, man, you're just throwing out a whole pile of big words here. I don't know what this stuff means, Christologizing, typologizing, biblical theology. What in the world is that? Well, let me put it this way. Imagine that you were a friend of Jesus in Jesus' day. And imagine reading the book of Ruth. What would it mean to you? Imagine you were, you know, uh, uh, the son of Hezekiah, the king of uh, Judah. And imagine that uh, you were reading, okay, the Proverbs of Solomon. Well, what would that mean to you? Well, you just did something when you asked those questions. You didn't ask, what does the text mean to me? You asked, what did the text mean to them? Do you understand? You see, the, the Old Testament was written to a Jewish audience, a Jewish audience that lived under the law. I think the New Testament has something to say about uh, I'm not a Jewish person and mm, I don't think I have to obey the law. You know, I was talking to, I was thinking about talking to Pastor Phil about, you know, we need to get an altar out there and sacrifice the fatted calf or whatever, right? <clears throat> no. Okay, so what, does, what did that mean to them? Now, is there some kind of a principle? Is there an idea that then applies to me? And I would contend that, yes, the scriptures are there for even the church's edification. We can learn from it. We can learn from the Old Testament. And I pray that as we go through this week that you are not distracted by big words or, um, or uh, 
um, distracted by big words or just uh, the, 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 the mysteries and difficulties of the Old Testament. But as we get into the word, I pray that you'd understand it better. I pray that you don't just understand it better, you would know better how to read it. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow morning where we look at narrative, going through these stories. I don't know about you, but I love the stories from the Old Testament. They're great. So often we read them just as stories. They're not just stories. There's something more there. God's teaching you something. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow when we open up God's Word and we analyze the characters, and I pray that you'll be able to understand the, the message that God wants to give you from the Old Testament. Now, tonight, uh, I want to share with you how the Old Testament has impacted me. Even as a young boy attending junior camp, I remember a preacher coming and sharing from Isaiah chapter 6, a text that was very formative to me personally. And I want to share that with you. And I pray as you reflect upon even the principles in Isaiah chapter 6, I pray that it would be spiritually nourishing for you. I pray that it would cause you to contemplate, to cause you to consider, even as I did many, many years ago. So Isaiah chapter 6, if you could uh, follow along in your copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn there. Now, um, as we go through these next four days, I will, um, we're going to be in our Bibles, all right? I know it's like you've said that, but I'll just tell you, it'd be easier if you had a paper Bible, okay? I know a lot of you, you're just like jumping from here or there or whatever, and, and you might want to just take those couple extra steps to run back to your uh, cabin and grab your Bible, because it generally, we're going to be looking at bigger chunks of scripture, so I can't just put it all up on the screen. You're going to need to actually, you know, look at it, and it might be easier on a paper Bible. Uh, and so if you would like to follow along in your copy of God's Word, I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the, vo and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? 
And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the Old Testament. I thank you for the testimony of Isaiah. I thank you for the call of Isaiah and how you uh, specifically called him to uh, a ministry. I thank you for the power of your word and how it is what transforms us. Uh, it is what um, molds us and, and guides us and directs us. I pray that it would do that at this time. Um, be with uh, the attendees here, I pray that we would have soft hearts and not be like the children of Israel who had dull hearts and dull ears. May we be listening, may we be learning, and may we live the way you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 6, it's the call of Isaiah. It's when the Lord called him into the ministry. And I remember when I was probably fourth or fifth grade attending camp, somebody preached this message. And or, I mean, preach this text, and they uh, asked, you know, would the Lord use you? And I remember being a little boy and being like, yeah, God could use me. Here am I. Send me. You know, I need to be willing to do what God wants me to do. It fits even with the message of this morning, you know, a pinch and a dash. I loved that, okay? A pinch and a dash is not enough. And as we think through the call of Isaiah, I want you to think through, you know what? Could the Lord use me? It's kind of interesting. In, uh, I teach at Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary, okay? And uh, it's interesting to look at the United States of America and all of the uh, schools, the conservative Christian schools, and what's been happening in, say, like the last 15 years. There's been a closure after a closure after a closure, okay? There are a lot fewer Faith Baptist Bible Colleges around the country. Um, you might not be aware of that, but that is very much the, the truth. Now, with that, those closures, you would expect, well, those schools are closing. That must mean these other schools are getting a lot more people attending them, right? Okay? No, that's not the case, okay? Even the, the schools that remain, the enrollment has been dropping, well, what is the purpose of these schools? What are they doing? What is their mission? Well, our mission is to train the next generation of pastors and missionaries to take the word to the world. Okay, that's what we're seeking to do. Well, if nobody is coming to these kinds of schools, they're not coming to be prepared for the ministry. It's like, man, God's not calling anybody to the ministry anymore. Is God not calling anybody? Or are people not listening? And then sometimes God might be calling, but people abandon the call because it gets kind of hard. And I would encourage you to consider if the Lord is calling you into the ministry. Could I be a pastor of a church in Iowa or Minnesota or wherever? Could I be a missionary to Africa or Europe? We need people to take the word to the world. We need more young men and women to say, here am I, Lord, send me, just like Isaiah. And as we work through this text, I pray that you would consider whether or not you could be the Lord's messenger, just like Isaiah. 
the Lord's messenger. And there's three truths that we're going to work through that uh, I would, I would um, encourage you to focus on right now. Three truths, if you want to be the Lord's messenger, if you want to have a ministry that's a lifelong ministry, like Isaiah's, by the way. Isaiah ministered for like 50 years. He ministered through, I think it was like four or five different kings. Some of them were pretty bad, too, especially the last one. Anyway, we'll come to that. <clears throat> so um, Isaiah, he ministered all of those years. And I look at the life of Isaiah. I look at his perseverance, and it inspires me still. And as I work through this text, I pray that God would use it in your life, that you would consider, hey, maybe God could use me to be a pastor, to be a missionary. Now, as I say those words, you might be thinking, oh, you know what, you were that <laughs> third or fourth grader or fifth grader. I don't remember how old I was. We just dismissed all of them, didn't we? <laughs> hey, that's okay. The teens are here. Oh, this is just for the teens. <clears throat> okay, No. This has actually been a growing movement, I don't know, movement, a growing, I don't know, situation in America where there are people who are established in corporate America as doctors, as whatever. And what are they doing? They're leaving all, just like your father. I love that as an illustration. And they say, I don't care about the millions of dollars, forget it. I'm gonna die. And then what's going to happen to the money? It goes to my kids or whatever. And then what's going to happen? Nobody's going to remember me, okay? Let's, we need to have a more eternal focus. And so you might be sitting out there as a 30-year-old, as a 40-year-old, as a 50-year-old. And there was a man at the missions conference just this last year, or maybe it was the year before, and he was a dentist. And he retired early at like 56 or something like that. And he had been serving in the missionary, as a missionary for 20 years. And so, yes, am I speaking to uh, the young people? Yes, I am. I think you seriously should consider if God has called you into the ministry, and if God has called you into the ministry, you need to take steps to fulfill the call of God in your life. But if you are older, and maybe you're even established, and you have a good job, and you're making a lot of money, you know what else? I think you should consider whether or not God's called you into the ministry. We need messengers. As I stand before you, I'm a messenger. That's it. I'm going to open up God's word to you, and God's word is what does the work. All I'm going to do is share what it is. I'm going to share these three truths from Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, works in your life through his word. Oh, by the way, Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, what does God say? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth messengers. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth messengers. I've been praying that prayer in preparation for this sermon. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 through 4. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, we see the first truth. The first truth uh, of, uh, of the messenger in that he knows God. He knows the Lord. As we look at Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 4, we see several characteristics of the Lord that are um, described to us here. And that first characteristic is that, I've kind of summarized it as, he's exalted. He's high and lifted up. This fits so well with the song that we sang just a little while ago. Behold our God, okay? You know, how big is your God? If you want to have a, uh, if, if you want to be the Lord's messenger, if, if you believe that God can work through you, okay, you know what you need to have? This is what you need to have, just like Isaiah did. You need to have a big God. You need to have a small you and a big God. 
The Lord is high and he's lifted up here. He's filling everything up. And I've put on this uh, screen, I've highlighted some of the different words that accentuate some of these characteristics of who God is. The first uh, characteristic is that I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He's sitting on a throne. That's important. Okay. He's seated. That means he's in his position of power and authority. He's seated on a throne. He's high and lifted up. Okay. Isaiah chapter 2. The Lord alone is high and lifted up. It's only him. All the mountains are like squashed down to nothing and made valleys before the Lord. Only the Lord is high and lifted up. Who is the Lord? Who is Isaiah's Lord? He is high and lifted up. And he fills everything up. Look at the repetition of the word filled. His, uh, the train of his robe, it fills the temple. Okay, And they, at the end of verse 3, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then in verse 4, at the end, the whole house, it's filled up with smoke. You know, uh, I, uh, I do these doctrinal things with um, students at Faith. They have these, um, they call them oral exams. The students tend to dread them. Um, I don't know why. I mean, we ask really easy questions. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, it's kind of interesting, as I started doing these oral exams, I would, I would get, for whatever reason, I get theology proper. And theology proper is the doctrine of God. I love theology proper, by the way. It's like my favorite doctrine. It's almost like the sovereign hand of God to give that doctrine to the very knowledgeable college student that's going through their orals during that time period. But I love theology proper because where do we learn about God? I'm the Old Testament guy, you know? You all know it. Think about that. We learn about God the Father where? In the Old Testament. We learn about God the Son where? In the New Testament. You know, you want to have a deeper faith, a deeper understanding of who God is? What do you need to study? The Old Testament. Okay? Behold our God. You love to sing that song. Have you ever studied Isaiah 40? You should study Isaiah 40 and then sing that song. And let's see if you don't cry at the end of it. It's a very powerful experience to see God high and lifted up. And that powerful experience is what Isaiah experiences right here in this text. The whole earth is full of his glory and they're shouting out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God is separate from his creation. We can't even understand that. We can't get close to God. And this leads us to our second point. So we need to know God. Who is God? He's exalted. He is high and lifted up. He is holy. And then the second point that we have is that we need to know who we are. We have such a high estimation of ourselves. We think, man, God's so blessed to have me. <laughs> you know, as you take a look at this passage, and as you see who Isaiah is and what he sees in himself. Yeah, you know, there was that one guy, Isaiah. He was a bad apple, let me tell you. Uh-huh. There was nobody as bad as Isaiah. I mean, look at this text. He even admits it right here in verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm an adulterer, and I've committed fornication, and I've done all of these wicked sins. I bow down to other gods. No, what does he say? I'm a man of unclean lips. You think you're good? You come before God, and guess what? You're not. 
It's interesting that the sin that he describes with himself specifically is the sin of speech. The sin of speech is a, uh, a, a sign, uh, well, a sign of immaturity in the book of Proverbs. And then in even the book of James, what is the perfect man? Who is the person that's actually mature? Guess what they can do? They can control their mouths. Isaiah wasn't the worst of sinners. He was a good guy. He was a prophet of the Lord. But even this good man, this prophet of the Lord, how does he describe himself? I've sinned. I can't do it. And you know what? If you want to be the Lord's messenger, guess what you have to realize? You can't do it. You are a sinner. You've sinned time and time again. I would encourage you, if you are thinking, you know what, I think the Lord may be calling me into the ministry, which, by the way, God's not going to give you some kind of a vision like he gave to Isaiah, all right? Don't go there. In your handouts, there's an article at the bottom. I've given you the link for it. It's by Dr. Doug Brown. He teaches at Faith Baptist Theological Seminary as well. It is excellent. You can read it in five to ten minutes. won't even take you that long. And it'll help you to think through, has the Lord called me into the ministry? There are some objective, uh, objective reasons why you may or may not be called into the ministry, okay? There's kind of this list of qualifications in the New Testament someplace. If you don't meet them, then, okay? But there are, there are also some subjective things. So read through that article and uh, consider if the Lord has called you into the ministry. If the Lord is potentially calling you into the ministry, I would encourage you to think to yourself on a regular basis, consider, you know what? And ask the Lord in prayer, Lord, what sin is in my life that I'm not seeing? What sin am I hiding? What sin is in my heart? I look good on the outside. But there's this thing on the inside, and it's bad, and I need to make it right. You need to have a, a pure and cleansed heart before God Almighty for you to be the Lord's messenger. And here, Isaiah admits his sin, but that's not it. You don't just admit your sin. What do you need to do with your sin? You need to deal with it, right? And so what do we have? We have uh, the Lord actually doing it, okay? The seraphim flies over in this vision, in this symbolic way, and he, he, uh, he uh, atones for Isaiah's sin. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. He was forgiven. If you want to be the Lord's messenger, you need to have your sin forgiven. You need to recognize that, you know what? I've got a problem. I have sin in my life. I can't do anything about it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for taking care of that sin. You know, it's so interesting. God, you know, you can imagine him up there high on the throne before I, in, in this vision. And there's sinful Isaiah down there. And what does God not do? God doesn't go down there and be like, oh, I can handle a little bit of sin. No. 
What is the description that the seraphim give again and again and again? Holy, holy, holy. God's not going to change. That's not going to, that's a non-negotiable. Instead, what has God got to do? He's like, I've got another plan. Oh, God, thank you for having a plan. What's the plan? And as New Testament saints, we know the plan. And the plan was Jesus. And he's taken care of that sin. And he's thrust it aside. And he doesn't see it anymore. You need to be forgiven. And we need to daily be examining our lives, seeing the sin in our hearts, confessing it, and being forgiven. This is a characteristic. This is a truth to be the Lord's messenger. You need to know God. You need to know yourself. And this last point is the one that I feel the strongest about, okay? And that you need to know the mission. Huh, the mission. You know, this is the point that I, I, uh, I don't know, I struggle with this one the most. I struggle with the most for a couple of different reasons. But, you know, Isaiah, it's kind of interesting in this text. You know, you have in verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then we have this statement of just complete surrender and just, yes, here am I, Lord, send me. And then God explains to him what he's going to do. It's like, go, preach the message, tell this people. Do you see that? Preach the gospel and everybody's going to repent. There's going to be a revival in the land and I'm going to deliver the children of Israel and bring in the times of restoration. Nope. That's not the message that he gets to deliver. I mean, who wants to deliver this message? This message stinks. I don't want to be Isaiah. I want you to go and tell everybody what I'm going to tell you to tell them. And they don't want to listen to you. Now, as I stand up here, I know there are several pastors out there. Don't you just love the opportunity to tell somebody and rebuke them when they're living in sin? Isn't it just a great thing you look forward to every single time? Because they always just take it so well, and they always just repent of that sin and walk in the newness of life, okay? You know, we like telling people good news, don't we? We like to tell people, oh yeah, it's all going to be good, it's all going to be okay. But what if God's message isn't, it's all going to be okay, it's all going to be good? What if the message is, you're on a crash course, your life's blowing up, you're going to go to hell, you're going to ostracize your wife, your kids are not going in the right direction? What if that's the message? And then... The best part is, yeah, they're not going to listen to you. Yeah, this is the part that I struggle with the most because a lot of times we have these idealistic thinkings. Oh, yeah, here am I, Lord. Send me. I'm going to go. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to know the Lord. I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to uh, live in short accounts with the Lord. I'm going to be that godly messenger, and then God can use me. And there'll be hundreds of people that trust in me as their own personal savior. And I'll be the pastor of this big church as I live sacrificially and humbly day after day after day. You don't know that. I mean, I pray that is what happens. But you don't know. 
It might be that you, you know the Lord and you, uh, uh, say you, uh, you slay the flesh on a regular basis, identifying sin in your life, confessing it, and then you faithfully proclaim that message and just person after person after person just rejects it. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to continue to proclaim that message? We have Isaiah here, and guess what? He was faithful. He was faithful all the way to the end. Look at what we have in verses 9 and 10. And he said, go and tell this people. And this is what he really said. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Look at verse 10 here. That was verse 9, sorry. This is verse 10. And, and look at the, he just does this so artfully. Make the heart of this people dull. Their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Wow. What is God's mission for you? To proclaim the message faithfully again and again. Who are you? Who would you be? You'd be the messenger. What is your responsibility? To proclaim the message. God doesn't say that they have to believe. God doesn't say, you know, <laughs> change the message. Nope. Nope, that would be the false prophets. Okay? God says, be faithful. And then, I mean, if that's the message that I'm given, and I'm like, oh man, Lord, I mean, hopefully this is kind of like a Joseph in Egypt thing, right? You know, you gotta go through some pretty tough trials, and you know, you have a few really bad years, okay? But at the end of the day, you're second in command in Egypt, right? You know, hey, everybody wants that uh, fairy tale ending, right? No, what, is, what does Isaiah get gifted here in verse 11? Then I say, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. What does that mean? That means they've gone away into captivity. All right? And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. What do you mean forsaken places? Well, the places of land where nobody's living. Well, why isn't anybody living there? Well, because they were either deported or killed. Verse 13. But a tenth will be in it. Oh, there's a tenth that remains. Okay, yeah, one in ten. Yeah, that's not very good odds. Well, what happens to the tenth? Look at verse 13. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming. Oh, so there's still more consuming. So you got one tenth left and then the fire comes again and you have less than a tenth. God is judging the people of Israel for their wickedness and he's going to be wiping them out. And what is Isaiah's mission? You get to proclaim this message. And you proclaim it and proclaim it and proclaim it. Even though they don't listen, you continue to proclaim it until the end. And that's the final point. <sighs> know the mission. And how long does it last? It goes until the end. 
there's still a remnant left. And that's where there's the hope at the end of verse 13. Whose stump remains when it is cast down, so the holy seed will be its stump. Even within Isaiah's day, with so many people rejecting the truth, there was still a remnant. In Isaiah chapter 8, it talks about Isaiah's disciples. He had some followers that were truly repentant and living in accordance with God's law. God always has a remnant. It's always there. Will you be the Lord's messenger? Will you be willing to be sent out by him? sacrificing the affairs and the things of this world? Will you be faithful and will you do it to the very end? I would encourage you to consider the call to the ministry. Is God working in your life? Isaiah continued through five different kings and at the end of his life during the reign of Manasseh, according to tradition, he was sawn in two by the evil king Manasseh. Hebrews 11.37 Hebrews 11.37 talks about uh, how the faithful prophets and people of old, some of them were sawn in two. Most people believe that that is a reference specifically to Isaiah. Hebrews 11 also talks about the motivation for this. And this is another aspect of the sermon that I'm, I'm not going to fully develop here. But think through, why? Why? You know, I love studying wisdom literature because you know what wisdom would say about this? Yeah, this is a big thumbs down, okay? This is the, the business is going bankrupt, all right? There's nothing wise about any of this. But Isaiah's goal, and if you're going to be the Lord's messenger, what does your goal need to be? Not upon some earthly city, not upon some earthly home, but upon a heavenly city upon a land, upon a promise. And that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's an expectation and looking forward to that future promise, that future land, that future kingdom when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. And where's Isaiah going to be then? Song in two? That's where our focus needs to be. And as we think through applying this text and applying it even to our own lives, I have a lot of parents out here. I'm a parent. You have children. You love your children. I love my children. When our children are hurt or something bad happens to them, what do we do? Well, we don't like that. We might get alone. <laughs> we protect our children. It's built into us. It's what we're supposed to do, particularly our mothers, you know, if... You know, my son has had him a headache, you know. You think he came to me? <laughs> he didn't come to me, you know. What's wrong with him? Oh, he's got a headache. Oh, you got a headache? Yeah. Eat some food, drink some water. We'll get you some ibuprofen, son, you know. That was her. I didn't do the ibuprofen line. That was her. And, you know, okay. We love our children. The most influential person in my life was my mother. You need to be willing to hand them back over. You don't know 
what you might be handing them over to. Let go. Lord, I thank you for the exhortation from Isaiah chapter 6. I pray for each one here that they would be willing to be your messenger. And as parents whom you've entrusted the next generation to, you've given them to us. Give us the strength to let them go. In Jesus' name, amen.